Psalm 23, 1-6. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that you are our shepherd. We thank you that you are our Lord and King. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. We ask that this morning, by your word and by your spirit, that we would be transformed more and more from the people that we have become into the people that you are making us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23. Verses 1 through 6, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. New Testament lesson this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This week is Thanksgiving. This week is also the last week before Advent begins. Yes, we're already looking towards Christmas, and it's not even been Thanksgiving yet. If the stores can do it, so can I. But that is Advent that starts next Sunday. This Sunday, though, is the last Sunday of the church calendar year, and it's actually known as Christ the King Sunday. And so this is where we look at what it means for Jesus to be the King. 
And we've been doing that for several weeks now, looking at parables Jesus told of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this morning we're looking at one in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And this is a parable that, uh, that Jesus tells specifically to the religious leaders of the day who were a little frustrated with Jesus because they, they were the guys. They were in. They were the in crowd as far as Judaism went. They were God's chosen people, and they were the chosen of the chosen. The best of the best. And yet Jesus keeps going around with tax collectors and prostitutes. And that, those were the the unchosen. So this makes the religious leaders not happy. And so Jesus ends up telling them three parables in a row, back to back, about this kind of thing. The first one, he tells, actually starts in Matthew 21, and he says that there were were two sons. And the father asked them to go to work in the vineyard, and one says, I will not, but later he changes his mind and he goes. The other one says, "Uh, yeah, I'll do it, but then he doesn't do it. He's like, which one's doing what the father really wants? The one who says he's going to do it or the one who actually does it? And then he tells another parable about a landowner who planted a vineyard. When harvest time approaches, he sends out servants to collect the fruit. But the tenants of the vineyard don't hand over the fruit. Instead, they beat up the servants. And then he finally sends his son, and they kill him as well. These are the parables that Jesus is telling to these religious leaders, those tenants of uh, the vineyard, as it were, using Old Testament language that they would be well familiar with so, he knows, so they know for sure he's talking about them. And then we get this third one. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. Those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed that a man, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. All right. That's quite the parable. And this 
would have been um, a good... When we read this parable, we have a good indication as to why it is that the uh, religious leaders wanted to get Jesus killed. This is the kind of thing that he's saying to them, the ones who saw themselves as the best of the best, the chosen of the chosen. And then he tells this story after story after story, and he tells these stories specifically about them and says, you think you are, I think you're not. You may have it where it looks that way on the outside, but let me tell you what it's really like. It's like this. And this makes them furious, and they want to kill him. But if we only look at this story as kind of a historical, oh, that's why they wanted to kill him, then we're missing that he's also telling this parable to us. That we today can look at this parable, see what the kingdom of heaven is like, and find out where we are in the parable. This is one of those, if the shoe fits, kind of parables. He doesn't tell us who we are. We have to find ourselves in there. So let's go back and look again. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. A king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. I have to tell you, I used to think that what this meant was he sent people to invite. He didn't send to invite. They had already been invited. These are people who had already gotten the save the date in the mail. They had the date circled on their calendars. They'd RSVP'd and said, you just let us know when the time comes. We are there. And so now the time has come. Everything is prepared. Everything has been made ready. And so he says, all right, go to those people who have said they're coming and tell them to come on. That's what's going on. And the very same people who'd said that they were, yeah, we're ready, whenever, come on. When they actually go out and say, okay, it's made ready, let's, let's go. That's when they say, yeah, we're not really doing that. And they don't go. But he doesn't stop. He sends them out again. He sends some more servants and says, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they don't come. Not only do they not come, but it says they paid no attention and went off one to his field, another to his business. We're too busy. We've got our own things going on. We have our own lives. Let me tell you, this is their king inviting them the wedding banquet. If you don't have time for your king, guess what? He's not your king. We'll put this in modern day terms. You know, we look at things like idolatry in the Bible and we say, well, aren't we glad we're past that? We don't worship idols anymore. Au contraire. We have all kinds of idols that we worship. We may not um, make them out of metal and put them on a stand and bow down before them, but we will give our lives to things that aren't God. We will devote our time and our energy and our attention to things that are so much less than what he's called us to. And things that as we devote our time and energy and attention to those things will actually change who we are. Distort the image of God that has been created in us into something else. Let me tell you, 
if you don't have time for your God, he may not be your God. He may have some other God. This is what's going on in this parable. The king says to his subjects, come. And they say, no. We have more important things than you. And just to make sure that he gets the point that they really don't care about him at all or his son or his banquet or any of that, they take the messengers that have come out to invite them and they mistreat them and they kill them. So what does he do? All right. If that's how this is going to work, then that's how it's going to work. So the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, he's still not finished. The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go out to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. And this is where we want the parable to end. Because this is a, this is a good, happy ending. We had, you know, the servants who had gone out to the, uh, those who had been invited, who'd said they were going to come, but they didn't really care. They didn't want to have anything to do with him for real. It was all just lip service. Or as Jesus said, these, quoting Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is what was happening. But that part now is over, and now we have these other people who are being invited, and they're actually coming, and isn't this wonderful? And it's gone to the good and the bad. And this explains why it is that Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and not with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We say, okay, that's wonderful. And so as we look at the sin in our lives, we say, well, look, it's, they're inviting those who are the, the bad as well as the good. The wedding hall is filled. And so the point is, all we have to do is say yes and show up in the story. But that's not the end of the story. He gives us a bit more. He says, when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. What in the world is going on here? Apparently, there's more to it than just saying yes to the invitation. There's saying yes to the invitation to go to the wedding banquet. But there's also the being made ready. It is not just honoring the king with your presence, but honoring the king in how you are presented. We have a man here who knows, by the way, that he's done wrong. We know he's done, that he knows it because he's speechless. If you've ever been confronted with something that you know you did wrong, you've probably had one of two reactions. One is to start talking way too much and to say all the things that later you wish you'd never said, or to just be completely speechless. I, 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 I don't know. And that's what this man is doing here. He's speechless because he came but he's still not in it for the king. If he were in it for the king, he wouldn't have just showed up. He would have 
been made ready. But he didn't. And there we wonder, was it showing up more for the king or more just for himself? I'll go eat the food, but I don't want to honor the king. And Jesus says, that doesn't work. Now, what are these wedding clothes? Well, there are other places in, it, in Scripture where it talks about putting off what we were and putting on who we need to become. Things like this. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. There's that idolatry again. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if, you have, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We see the servants going out and calling people good and bad. It doesn't matter. Their sin is not enough to keep them from being invited, to keep them from accepting the gift of the invitation. And Jesus meets us where we are. And he loves us as we are. But as you may have heard, he loves us as we are, but he actually loves us too much to allow us to stay that way. He meets us where we are, but he also takes us to where we need to go. And if we only say yes to being met where we are and then insist on staying there, that's not it. We have to say yes to the whole thing, to the receiving the invitation, to the being made ready for the banquet so that we will be those who can enjoy the banquet. Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, talking about the wedding banquet of the Son, we have several places in uh, the New Testament where wedding language going on. 
but it's the marriage of Jesus to his church. And one of the places that that comes through is when uh, Paul is talking to husbands and wives and how they're supposed to uh, relate to each other. In, in verse 25 and following, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. <clears throat> In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. When we look at this parable, let us not lose sight of the fact that this invitation that comes is very different than just, hey, I wrote out some stuff on some paper and sent it out. This is an invitation that actually comes at the cost of the life of the son. He gave himself up for the church to make the church holy. Not just so that the church gets off from the penalties of their sin, but so that they can actually be who they were made to be, to be made holy, to put off those things that lead us away, to put off those things that tear us apart, to put off those things that lead us into idol worship, and to put on the things that bring us close to God, to put on the things that bring us close to each other, that put on the things that form in us, reform what has been deformed in us as we become those who more and more reflect who God really is to all of creation. We need to say yes as those who have been found on the street corners in our own world, to whom the invitation has come. We need to say yes. We need to say yes to the whole thing. Not just, yes, I'm glad you invited me, but yes, I'm glad for who you are and what you've invited me to. And I want to be a part of the whole thing. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. May we all be those who are part of it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.